Welcome to Short Course, episode 22, for June 29th, 2018. I'm your host, Ben Barry. There, there are really a lot of things about practical shooting that I like as a hobby. Um, it's a purely individual competition, so you're not really worried about getting, you know, whether you can get a good team, like if you're playing pickup basketball, you know, it's all, it's all based on your skill. It tends to be, you know, easy to practice at home. You can, you know, practice almost anywhere. If you can find a range near you, there, there are lots of those and it's not dependent on, you know, having other people to, to play against necessarily. But maybe one of the top things for me is the fact that it's actually really hard to cheat at USPSA. And I mean that in a lot of different ways. I mean, let's start with the obvious. There are no known performance-enhancing drugs for USPSA. There are no banned substances. Uh, I mean, obviously you can't show up high on illegal drugs, but that's more of a safety issue than anything else. You don't want somebody who, you know, doesn't understand that this is real life because they're hopped up on some hallucinogen with, you know, a loaded gun or even an unloaded one. But as far as performance enhancing drugs, there's there aren't any. Not that not that we know of, not that I've ever heard anybody even clandestinely talk about. So, you know, even if you wanted to have your pick of of what's out there, there's just nothing that is a an instant win to make you a better USPSA shooter. I mean, the obvious one would be something like steroids, right? Bigger muscles help you control the gun more. But I, I really, I mean, controlling the gun is a relatively small fraction of the overall sport. And I don't think that raw arm strength or even raw hand strength is is that big of a component of it. And especially when you start getting into, you know, divisions like either, you know, production where you have 125 power factor 9mm that doesn't really recoil that much or open where you've got a compensator that that's doing a lot of work for you to tame your recoil, you know, the, the, the raw hand strength just doesn't even play into it that, that much. And you know, the rest of it, what, you know, what are steroids going to do? So they're, they're just they're Even if you had your pick, there's not really anything you could take that would just obviously make you better at USPSA. Even looking beyond that, looking at misconduct, you know, within the sport, within the confines of the game, the fact that the the sport is played on such an open playing field that's also very small is, I think it's pretty remarkable. I mean, you look at almost any other game and the ratio of players, you know, active players in the game to referees is, is pretty low. You know, if you've got a football team with 22 people on the field, how many referees do you have in the NFL? Four, five, six, maybe? Maybe in like tennis, you've got the line judges and, and you've got different people looking from different angles it is might be the, the closest thing. But in USPSA, at any at a match of any significant size where, you know, the incentives to cheat would pop up, you're going to have at least two range officers watching you from, you know, one from each side, checking pretty much every part of your of your position, you know, whether your foot's over the line, whether you're aiming at a target through, you know, a mesh wall, you know, one of the two of them is, is going to see anything like that. And so because the sport is played out in this serial nature where there isn't a lot of commotion going on, there's no shuffle that you can get lost in. It's not like you can, you know, pull a soccer flop and get bumped by another guy and then fall down. And because there was no RO watching you right at that moment, you can try and play up for the sympathy. It, it doesn't happen. Every second that you're on the clock from make ready to unload and show clear, you've got an RO there watching you or two. 
And when you go to score the targets, same deal. They're they're watching you. You're you you don't have a chance to access the targets without them. You, you know everything is out there in the open. Um, you know this reminds me of a, a story I heard from a, a local guy that used to do triathlons, and you know he would talk about. I don't know the exact details, but there was some kind of rule about drafting and passing on the bicycle sections. But, you know, on a, on a triathlon, you're biking for tens of miles and there might not be uh, any kind of referee or, you know, whatever they call their, their officials for miles around. And so if somebody breaks those rules and nobody else sees it, then there's really nothing you can do about it. But that's, a completely different world here. You know, there's nowhere in this sport that you're operating without RO supervision. And I think that's a good thing. It makes it hard to cheat. There's also really not that much you can do to your gun to cheat. There really aren't that many, (laughs) there aren't that many go fast parts you can really put in it. I mean, obviously production is the most restricted division. And even in production, if you manage to, let's say, slip a CZ race hammer onto a gun when that was against the rules before it was reinterpreted to be within the rules. Is that CZ race hammer going to make you 5% better to 1% better? Probably not. You know, so even if you can slip some parts under the radar, it doesn't really gain you that much. It's, it's more of a, a feel thing and a preference. And there just aren't that many parts in guns and there aren't that many things you can do to them. You know, a hammer spring needs to have a certain amount of heft and a hammer needs to have a certain amount of mass and, Springs need to have a certain amount of tension. You just, you you can't really shave that much really anywhere. Now, you know, obviously you can make certain performance tweaks and in limited and open and and the custom gun makers there will say that their, that their modifications make a difference. And and I'm sure they do, but it it just is within the realm of production, you know, the most lockdown division. There just, you know, there isn't really that much you can change on the gun. And if you start changing the weight of it, that'll show up at equipment check. If you start putting aftermarket parts, I mean, you can put parts in the, in the frame and no one's going to know, but you know, there's no magic firing pin that, that has to be banned because it's, you know, so good that it gives some kind of competitive advantage. It it just, it doesn't exist. And that's only in production in, in most of the other divisions, it's, it's anything goes, you know, put whatever you want on the gun, as long as it meets the other criteria, you know, nobody really cares. I, in my mind, this contrasts with autocross, which I've heard can be, you know, very competitive. It's, it's a, you know, it's sort of the weekend warrior racing sport and they have various production stock type classes there, but a car is a pretty complicated mechanism. You can hide some carbon fiber, whatever, or aftermarket illegal super ceramic brake pads or something. You know, there's a lot of places to hide stuff in a car and you can't just put a car on a scale and know whether it's been modified the way you can with you know, a a Glock 34. So the, you know, when I look at other sports like that, I I see just, that just almost doesn't even apply to our sport, which I think is also good. And of course it's worth mentioning that the incentive to cheat in this sport is pretty much zero. You know, there are no significant cash payouts in the sport. Maybe at a match you can win a gun based on performance, but it's, it's pretty unlikely. And it's pretty unlikely that you're going to be able to win something through cheating. You know, there, there are so many stages you'd have to so consistently get an edge on every single stage somehow to be able to, to work your way up into, you know, whatever stratum of the results win a gun, which the only match I've ever been to where guns were awarded based on finish was nationals. And even there, 
I think the the guns ranged from four hundred dollars to maybe a thousand. So you know that doesn't even cover your your plane ticket in your hotel. So at best you can break even winning a gun at a big match, but why? You know you're not coming out ahead there. So the incentives just just really aren't there, which I think is also a good thing. Now, when it comes to any kind of unfairness, you know, the the sport, again, tends to be very fair and and very resistant to external factors. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. If you have a hurricane come in and dump six inches of rain on your range in the middle of a nationals, which has happened, then like that's you're you're not going to have a great match like there are going to be competitive equity problems there but that's true of virtually any sport that takes place outdoors and in the grand scheme of things in terms of being resistant you know whether it's really sunny or somewhat overcast or you know a little bit rainy the the nice thing is it it affects almost everybody pretty equally i mean there was a story a couple of weeks ago about some golf course on the US open where it was like it was too dry and so the grass started to dry out, and so you would hit the golf ball. I've never played around a golf in my life, so you know, here as with all of these sports, forgive my ignorance. But you know, the, the golf balls would roll too far, or you would be putting on the green, and you'd you know putt right past the hole, and it would slide off the other side because there was no traction because everything was so dry and the wind was kicking up. I mean, okay, yes, wind is a thing in three gun hopefully you know how to dial it in or at least it's consistent for every every shooter but at least in the pistol games you know as long as the targets aren't getting blown over we really don't have to worry that much about the wind yes rain can be an issue and you know this is why at big matches you always want to have something like a super squad where you have all the guys that are in contention to win shooting together because then at least if the weather screws them they get screwed equally you don't have a situation where, you know, some guy is shooting some really cupcake up close hoser stage and it starts to rain and he's fine, but then somebody else who's in contention is on some really hard stage with lots of distance and movement and the rain makes it all muddy and he has to move slower. If if the super squad's shooting together and they get rained on, at least they all have to shoot the same stages in relatively the same level of, you know, wetness or poor lighting or, you know, whatever whatever the, the ambient conditions should be. And I think, I know this used to be a big misconception for me. I used to think the super squad was, you know, some kind of sort of elitism. Oh, those USPSA guys, they, you know, it's all about just shooting with the best. But no, I mean, it's, it actually comes down to fairness. It is, it is a technique for the match results to be as legitimate as possible. Because without that, you can, especially if you have, you know, two competitors shooting on opposite schedules, AM, PM, and, you know, one of them comes out ahead of the other, there's, there's room to, question the legitimacy of that result. Now, all of that said, you know, this is for the most part still a volunteer sport. We do the best we can, but putting the best shooters, the shooters in contention on a super squad or, you know, an A and B squad that shoot the same schedule and shoot one stage right after each other, you know, it, it's it's a cheap solution that gets us a long way to mitigating some of the differences between the guys that are in, in contention to win. But, you know, I mean, other than that, trying to think about ambient conditions or weather or anything like that. I mean, nationals this year is going to be at a range frostproof in frostproof, the universal shooting Academy that's notorious for having low berms that face into the morning sun. And it's like, it's just a thing. Like people talk about it. It's just a known thing that if you go to frostproof, you will probably have one stage in the morning where you're staring straight into the sun. 
And just like with the super squad thing, ideally everyone gets kind of screwed by that roughly equally. Does it work out? Probably not. But here again, if you have enough stages, maybe you get screwed by the conditions on that one stage. But if it's one out of 16, one out of 20, one out of 24, then that one stage doesn't have an, an outsized effect on your whole match. And that gets to, you know, one of the nice things about the scoring system, which is it is multiple independent scores. You know, there's this idea in board games where I think Monopoly is kind of the classic example of this. They call it the runaway leader effect, where once you start winning, you get more resources, which actually pushes you further and further down the track to keep winning. So a small lead becomes a bigger lead becomes a bigger lead. There's there's nothing like that in this sport. I mean, it's not even like the guy who's currently the points leader on the super squad can choose whether to shoot first or shoot last on a stage. You know, I mean, there, there's not even anything like that. Whether you're in first or 10th, like you shoot in the order that the shooting order is set up in, that you have you have no special privileges if you're ahead, if you're behind. And so it's it's very fair in that sense. There's It's not like one small hiccup can snowball into a spiral of failure, except insofar as you have poor mental game. But that's, I mean, that's true of any sport. That's not inherent to the to the organization of this sport. So if you look at the way things are arranged, it's it's as perfect as a structure can be for having multiple unrelated, you know, tests where you don't have that either runaway leader positive effect or the the negative spiral downward. Now, you know, this episode wouldn't be complete if if we didn't talk about possibly the one viable avenue of cheating which would be playing games with the chrono. So you know, the obvious thing to do if you wanted to cheat would be, you know, you wait until you go to equipment check and then after your gear has been checked and you've, your ammo has been chronoed, you would switch to whatever bunny fart loads you want to use. Or you would go to the safe area and swap out, you know, for heavier base pads now that your gun's made weight and that kind of thing. And, you know, I mean, is that possible? Yeah. Do I think anybody's doing it? No. <laughs> I mean, just frankly, like most of those things I don't think convey any real advantage. I think... Most people who have any sense are, at least in, in any kind of minor division, are reasonably afraid of getting screwed over by a popper, and so they're not going to go anything below minor power factor. Maybe in some of the major divisions, like I could see, you know, maybe trying to sneak in some 150 loads after you've already chronoed, but I don't think anybody actually does it. And I've talked before, you know, about ideas. I actually kind of wonder what it would look like if you had a match where everybody didn't go to chrono on a known schedule. You know, I mean, I've, I've proposed before the idea that you just have somebody on a golf cart waiting, you know, driving around. And when a shooter's shooting, he just, you know, signals the ROs and they pick up one of his mags off the ground, pull out eight rounds, put it in a baggie. And when he's finished unloading and scoring his targets, then he says, hop on the golf cart. We're going to chrono take him to chrono, check his gear, you know, shoot a couple rounds over the chrono, zip him back to his stage, you know, no more than one or two shooters later, he's back. And obviously the advantage of that is there's no point that you have cleared chrono. And so you're fine to start breaking the rules if that was your mentality. Now, I, I don't think compliance is something that, that, that we really need to fix, but potentially one of the advantages of that would just be the fact that you wouldn't necessarily have to have a dedicated chrono station taking up time in the in the shooter's flow. You know, not every station not every shooter would have to go to the chrono station. And so potentially you might be able to keep things moving better. 
And ultimately, you just wouldn't need to chrono as many shooters because, I mean, let's be honest, the the threat of random enforcement is much more likely to enforce compliance than knowing exactly when you're going to chrono. And in most cases, in most matches I've been to, having the opportunity to have a, you know, pick the mag off your belt that you want them to pull rounds from. Again, I... I don't think this is really a viable technique for cheating, but you know, if if we wanted to speed up the process a little bit, that might be one way to do it. If you don't want to actually interrupt shooters and take them off their squad, you know, maybe you just have a guy driving around in a golf cart. You know, when he gives the signal, the RO picks up the guy's magazine and pulls the eight rounds out and puts it in a bag, and then the bag goes to Chrono. And when the guy gets to Chrono later, then you know, then he he has to shoot it, or maybe he maybe you have. Anybody who got rounds picked has to show up after, you know, when they're done shooting for the day and swing by chrono and, and their rounds get chronoed. That way you're not disturbing the, the overall flow of the match. So, you know, I mean, there, there are some ideas like that. I mean, I mostly just think about this stuff from a, you know, process perspective. You know, if you were trying to to make the the system that much tighter, how would you do it? Um, I mean, another interesting idea that, that legitimately I, I ran into the other day is that I was just reading the rules of some weightlifting meet near me and they were saying that the way it worked is it was a so it was a tested meet which is is actually interesting that there are tested and untested weightlifting meets i guess i I can only infer that from the context uh but the way that that they said is basically the top 10 percent of in in each contest or something like that you know you would you would get tested and so if you did well then you get to pee in a cup if you didn't do well nobody really cares so, you know, maybe it's something like that. Maybe it's, you know, you you test extra the, the people who are in contention. Now, you know, it's not really clear how you test that ahead of time, you know, you because you need to test people during the match. You can't wait until the match is over because that falls prey to the, the same issues where people can just have a, you know, a, a separate source of ammo. It's like, oh, here's your trophy. Now go over to Chrono. Well, the ammo you're going to take when you go up to get your trophy is... If you wanted to cheat, again, which I'm not saying anybody does, I'm not saying I even think anybody would, but when you just sort of think about the scenarios and, and the options, this is this is what comes to mind for me. But honestly, I mean, it seems like such a funny thing to say that this is one of the defining features about the sport, but I, I really do look at it as objectively a way that this sport is superior to other sports in the sense that you know, if you want to get a fair return on the time, energy, money that you invest in the sport and not be, you know, essentially screwed out of a, a result that you worked for, this is actually a really good sport for it. And when I look at almost every other sport, you know, either there are more opportunities for, you know, cheating or whether it's, you know, trying to dodge drug tests or shenanigans when the referees aren't looking. Almost every sport that I can think of has more problems like that than, than USPSA, which I think is really cool because it's also a very democratic sport. Almost anybody can can participate and there are matches everywhere. So that's just something I think about from time to time when I go through my life and, and look at all the other hobbies that everybody else has and sort of smugly think to myself, well, I picked I picked a good one. And if you're listening to this, you you probably did too. Well, that wraps up this episode of Short Course. You can follow me on Facebook at Ben Barry Shooting and Instagram at BS Barry. I post all of my match videos at youtube.com slash USPSA. You can email me at podcast at berryshooting.com. Talk to you next time.